0: Que onda! You're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. My name's Brandon Harper, and I'm just a regular dude with tons of opinions. Chances are you'll love some and you'll hate some, but just remember, we can still be friends. In today's world of two highly divisible teams, I really don't fall into a category. My goal for this podcast is to share my experiences and thoughts with you, and hopefully it will help you to formulate your own opinions. I'm not here to change minds, debate, or fight. Okay, so maybe I enjoy a good debate every now and then. But I'm here to offer my opinions, and I don't expect everyone to agree. Just think about how boring the world would be if we all had the same opinions. How in the world is this paradise, you say? Well, you'll just have to keep listening to find out. Just remember, this stuff is can't be made up how about now man i tell you what this whole recording thing i i don't know if i'm just too stupid but i feel like that i have everything set up the exact same and nothing changes and then all of a sudden it'll just all of a sudden be just playing in one headphone Or only the right channel is recording. Or all of a sudden I get a bunch of reverb in one of my headphones. And I'm like, I didn't adjust anything. I didn't touch anything. Ugh. I would make a terrible professional producer, I think. I mean, I enjoy it a little bit, like the producing part. But I just, I can't seem to get everything dialed in just perfectly so that I can predict what's going to happen. That's super frustrating. i got some things to talk about today, believe it or not. This is number four in a row coming at you from somewhere in Tennessee. Okay, I got some exciting stuff to talk about today. So exciting, you're not going to even know how to deal with it. That was sarcasm. I mean, I don't think anything I talk about is really exciting, but hopefully it's engaging, thought-provoking, and it makes you have a little bit of emotion one way or another. Either love it or hate it. That's fine with me. Just don't feel blah about it. If you feel blah about this podcast, there's like thousands and thousands of other podcasts you can listen to. Just find one that you like and listen to it. They're totally free. A lot of times you'll hear me say the phrase, we need to learn how to disagree without being disagreeable. And I don't know where things changed. Well, I probably do, social media, but recently we've come to a point where if you don't agree with me on this topic, then we're mortal enemies. And if you don't feel the way I feel about this topic, then you must feel the opposite of how I feel. Then we're mortal enemies. And if you don't feel the way I feel about this topic, then you must feel the opposite of how I feel. What we forget is that there's always a spectrum. So let's just take apples. There are some people out there who really, 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 really love apples best thing ever. It would be their last food on the earth. And there's people out there who can't stand apples. They hate the way they taste. They hate the way they smell. They don't want them touching their mouth. Then maybe they're allergic to them. So if you have the guy that hates apples and you have the guy that loves apples, you also have everyone in between there and you have this uh, a distribution, right? So if you put it on a bell curve, right? Somewhere in the middle of that would be like, yeah, apples are okay. I kind of love them. I don't hate them, whatever. They're fine. But For some reason today, it's like the Apple lover expects everyone else to love apples too. And if you don't love apples as much as I do, well, then you're a piece of crap. And the Apple hater says, well, if you don't hate apples as much as I hate them, then you love them. If you don't hate apples as much as I hate them, well, you have to love them too. Can can, can it not be that like, hey, I don't, um, I don't hate apples. I don't love them. They're okay. They're fine right? This, this right now is happening with, with black lives matter. And it's a topic that people don't want to talk about it. They don't like talking about race issues. It makes people uncomfortable. I don't know why that is. I think it's because a lot of people have an embedded insecurity and they're afraid that they're going to be judged. Guess what? Not me. I'm not afraid to be judged. I don't care. So let's go into that a little further. And you know, it's further, not farther, right? You know, the difference between further and farther. If you don't, you should learn it. So if you look at Black Lives Matter, and and obviously what I'm describing isn't everyone who supports it, but there's a large percentage of people who say, if you don't speak up and pronounce from the rooftops that Black Lives Matter, then you hate black people. And I'm like, what? How did we get to that point? How did we get to the point where unless you pronounce how you feel, you feel the opposite of that? Because that's essentially what's happening. And it's not just Black Lives Matter. I just used that one because it came to mind. W- regardless of how you feel about the organization, it's the message that I'm talking about. Of course, Black Lives Matter to me. I'm just talking about me. Of course, they matter. Well, then you should you should post it everywhere that, on everything you have and, and all your businesses and you should say it. But why? I don't do that about apples. I don't do that about oranges. I don't do that about anything else. The people that I know who are black, they understand that... that I know that Black Lives Matter. They know that I'm not an advocate for, for slavery, or racism, or the KKK. So why does it be, why is it necessary for people to scream out that Black Lives Matter? And, and I'm not talking about black people. I'm talking about anyone other than black people. So here we are. We're, we're at the point where you must proclaim how you feel, or we're just going to safely assume that you feel the opposite of that. It's a, it's the same way with with Trump. If you don't love Trump you must love Hillary. You know, if you hate Trump, you must love Hillary. And if that's not the biggest, most obnoxious generalization, I don't know what is. And what I find comical is that the the people who tend to disavow generalizations, they don't like stereotyping. They don't like generalizing. It's just not fair. The people who are offended by that are the ones who are doing it that, that I'm seeing. It's the people who say, don't generalize, don't judge. They themselves are being the most generalizing, most judgmental people because they're assuming that if you don't feel X, then Y. If you don't feel A, then B must be true. And and, and the Black Lives Matter, that's just one example. Here's another example. Guns. Gun rights, gun grabbers, gun activists, pro-gun, pro-anti-gun, all that. Okay. So you have some people who think, that every person with a heartbeat should be able to walk into a store with a wad of cash and walk out with a gun within two seconds. You have another group of people who think that there should be no guns available to the general public and that we're not capable of managing guns because we just killed too many people. Once again, you, those are the two extremes. Now you have everyone inside that spectrum. and And what happens is that people start arguing over gun control or no gun control. And the word gun control, or the the phrase or the term gun control, can be extremely broad and subjective. What does gun control even mean? What does it mean? Well, to me, it means holding two hands on a pistol when you're shooting it and being very, very steady. That's what it means, making sure that you don't point the barrel where it's not supposed to be pointed. That's what gun control means to me. But everyone gets caught up in gun rights and gun activists and quote-unquote gun control. I'm of the opinion that I don't really care. I mean... Whatever you do to gun laws isn't really going to affect me unless you outlaw them completely, which I've got a nice stockpile. I don't need to buy anymore. I've got enough for everything I need. I enjoy them. I like to buy them. But if I couldn't buy anymore, it would hurt me because of the Second Amendment, but it wouldn't change my life. But what I do think is that instead of trying to take something away to prevent a behavior, we should get to the root cause of that behavior and we should figure out. Why do people think it's okay to run up and down the street shooting each other? I personally believe that for the amount of money and change in law that it would, it would take to alter the gun laws and the background checks, which you know we have a federal background check right now. A lot of people don't even realize it. But for the amount of energy and resources and time and effort, and we all know how inefficient the government is. We can all agree to that. Like No one's going to sit here and say that they're efficient and they'll, they'll handle it well. For the amount of money that it would take to manage all that, I feel like we could do better. We could, do, we could be more effective. Remember, the goal is to stop innocent people from dying. It's not to stop a 16-year-old who worked at a grocery store, bagging groceries, and saved up $299 to go to Academy to buy a duck hunting gun. We, we shouldn't, we shouldn't want to affect that guy. That, that guy, he deserves to be able to go buy a gun. So going back to my opinion whatever legislation they want to try, whatever they want to do, I think it would make people feel good, but I don't think it would have as big of an impact as taking that money and allocating it to different sorts of programs. And I don't even know what these should look like. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a psychologist. I don't understand the way that people behave when it comes to this type of decisions. Maybe we hold, maybe we hold their family accountable. (laughs) Kale had a theory that if you kill someone, then they come back, the government comes and kills your whole family. So, you know, maybe we get creative. I don't know. But it just seems to me like instead of arguing about gun control or no gun control, let's, let's figure out, is this the most efficient way to solve it? So we, we can all agree that we don't want kids dying in school. That's a no-brainer. But what is it going to take to get there? And realistically, if we make it more difficult to buy guns in stores, will that stop it? And that's the thing is that we, we won't know until we try something. Which I also believe that we <laughs> we should try things and if they don't work, we should untry them. <laughs> we should we should undo them. but I'm going to talk about that on a different day. Speaking of division, you know what's always funny to me is that when you're at the grocery store, I feel like I may have talked about this before on a podcast. I don't know. when you're at the grocery store and there's and there's someone ahead of you and they're unloading their things from the basket onto the belt. And then they finish unloading and then they go around the side, they get ready to pay. They always want to make sure that there's the little divider, the, the bar divider that shows whose groceries are whose. And, and I always think it's funny to not put it there and just kind of watch them react all awkwardly. And I think that some people expect the person who's in front to put it there. And some people expect the person who's behind to put it there. So I like to just sit there and watch. I don't put it down. I just watch people. And if we're all being honest, it's really not that difficult to keep up with the line at which your groceries end and mine begin because each customer is motivated to not get a mix up, right? I don't want to buy your groceries and take them home. I don't want them. You don't want to buy my groceries and take them home. You don't want them. So we're both kind of motivated. So we can both kind of keep an eye on things. And I feel like checkers also, they kind of know. Like if, if there's no divider there, they kind of might look up and see. Now, if there's a big mountain piles of people that are buying big red and diapers and that kind of stuff, then then yeah, then maybe you've got to put the divider. But I don't know. It's just a funny thing that I like to observe. I quite enjoy awkward situations, as long as they don't involve me. I like it when, uh, when things get awkward. I don't know why. I don't know why. But I really enjoy it. Another thing I think is hilarious is how mad people get. If they think someone cut in front of them in the parking lot, I mean, we're, the thing is, is that it's pride. It's not, it's not, man, now I got to walk an extra 30 feet. It's just pride. It's like that son of a gun just cut me off and I'm not going to let him get away with it. And that is the root cause of so many issues we have. I think business owners are so prideful. I think that they can end up hurting their business just in the name of pride. Here's an example. I used to work in the concrete business. We bought concrete from concrete vendors and we put it in place. That was our job. We were subcontractors. So I had relationships all over town with concrete vendors. And occasionally, the oil field would spike. And so the oil field would start paying money for drivers more than what the concrete companies were paying. So the drivers would leave the concrete companies and they would go join the oil field. Times were good. When the oil field's hot in Houston, everything's hot. Everyone's making money. Everything's moving. I could never understand. I would call and try to get concrete. Hey, I need concrete next Wednesday, 3 a.m., whatever. Oh, we're sorry, man. We're booked out for two weeks. We don't, we don't have any drivers. So these concrete company owners, the guys who are making the concrete, will let trucks, these massive assets, sit there not working because they couldn't find drivers. And I would, I would ask them, why don't you just pay $2 more per hour? You know? In the, in the grand scheme of things, you're talking about nothing. And they're like, well, that's just not the going rate. I'm just not going to pay a driver that much. So you're not going to pay a driver what you think is too much, but you're going to sit there and pay two thousand dollars a month for your truck to sit there and not not use it to create income. I don't get it. I don't understand that. Maybe I'm missing something. I've dissected the heck out of it, but yeah, it happens all the time. Like people refuse when they they get caught up in dollars per hour. You know, employees are thinking about it. like, I'm just not going to pay that. That's too much above the rate. Don't think about it like that. Think about it. How is this going to benefit your company? And maybe it's worth it. And maybe it's worth it to swallow your pride. Maybe it's not, but it probably is. I went back and listened to this section and I kind of veered off track a little bit and rambled. So I just wanted to go back and reiterate. I feel like the, the idea of disagreeing without being disagreeable is what we should all focus on When it comes to discussing opposing viewpoints and maybe not go into it with a mindset of like, I want to change your mind. But if you go into it with a mindset of truly understanding why or how they feel the way that they do, then maybe you'll know enough to understand why they can't be swayed or why they can't see things from your point of view. Like there's so much that has to do with perspective, and the and the way and your perception, right? So you you perceive things a certain way, and then your perspective revolves around that. And that can be that that can be from a lifetime of experiences. It can be how you were raised. It can be one or two bad experiences. There's all sorts of ways that will will change your your perception. And it's like the cliche: perception is reality. It's it's a cliche, but it's so true. And so. I enjoy hearing why people think the way they do and then figuring out how they got to that conclusion. And I think it all goes back to the point of there there being a spectrum, right? So we disagree. Let's just like abortion, for example. Everyone can agree. Well, of course, not everyone, but most everyone can agree that the morning after pill shouldn't be illegal. And we can also probably agree that we shouldn't be allowed to abort babies the day before they're born. So until we can all agree on that point at which life begins, there's really not a point in trying to tackle the abortion issue because you're going to have a big gap there and you're going to be left with two groups of people that can't come up with a solution because there's a gap between them. And so it just seems logical that we invest resources into closing that gap and and figuring out a line of acceptability that we can all agree on and then make the decision from that point. Because otherwise, it's just a game of -of tug-of-war. We're just fighting back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's like, it'll be a coin flip on the Supreme Court based on whether there's more Republicans or Democrats at the time. So I find value and trying to get all the way down to the most minute point at which me and someone else disagree on. And once I get to that point, then we can say, okay, well, if you feel that way and you're not willing to do this and I feel this way and I'm not willing to do that, then there's really no point in having this conversation and not be rude. You're just like, we're just wasting time. We could be talking about other things that we both enjoy or or do best, or we could be laughing or we could be watching Netflix or whatever. But, but I think people get so caught up in being right and wrong. That they're not actually looking for middle ground or a solution or, or an agreement. Now, certain things aren't up for negotiation. I get that. I'm not talking about those things. Some of my best friends and I have diametrically opposed political viewpoints. And that doesn't mean that we can't be buddies. That doesn't mean we can't talk about boats and sailing and cars and dogs and hunting and fishing and everything else. It, it, it's nice to have a perspective of someone who thinks completely opposite of you. But I just—it feels like we're heading down a road where people either duke it out on Facebook and they fight for the sake of fighting, or they don't discuss it in public because they don't want to make anyone mad or offend anyone. It's perfectly okay to go ape shit on Facebook, but let's not let's not talk about that in person. No, not at the dinner table. No, no politics, no religion, none of that stuff. No, mm-mm. it really bothers me when I'm having a discussion with someone. And someone else is like, guys, can we just stop it? Can we just stop? Guys, stop it. Really just quit. I'm like, no. Like, it's not it's nothing but a conversation about opposing viewpoints. There's nothing other than that. And I feel like if we could all do that, if we could all just be like me, the world would be a better place. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, but it kind of sounded like that's what I was gonna say. So I don't know. I'm kind of rambling again. I didn't have any bullet points or anything, but my whole point is that. We should just look for the microscopic point at which opinions diverge and start there. Boom, mushroom cloud. I'm going to talk a little bit now about dog sports. Everyone who knows me knows that I've been involved in it. Some people, it's funny. Like, oh yeah, you that dog, that dog training thing. You that thing where you train your dogs and go take them all over and drive all over. You got that big old shiny thing in the back of your truck. You haul the dogs around. Yes, yes, yes. That's me. Uh, dog sports. A lot of people don't know about them, and it's. I don't want to say underground because it's not, not really like an underground deal, because that like I don't know seems kind of shady. But it's a small world that um, if you don't if you haven't been exposed to it, you don't know it exists. And I guess that that holds true in a lot of things. But it's it's a big world. It's a huge industry, and it um, it takes what dogs were bred to do originally. And it makes them into a big competition or a game. And so I've been around it all my life. And so I wanted to kind of break down a little bit what what exactly that means or what it looks like, how I got into it, what I've done in dog sports, and just a kind of a basic overview. If you're sick of hearing about dogs, you are listening to the wrong podcast. Until I can afford to pay a writer, you're going to hear about dogs. So I grew up with golden retrievers. Both my parents were into them. I don't know who was into them first, but I know that they both had them. And my dad was also a duck hunter. He hunted all kinds of birds, but he was a big duck hunter. And so from from the time that I was old enough to go hunting, I went with him and our dog was there and you know, we would shoot the birds and I would shoot at them and miss them and my dad would hit them and the dog would go pick them up and bring them back. And I don't remember thinking it was like super cool or impressive at the time. It was just what, what the dogs did. As time went on, my dad got involved in field trials. So, what a field trial is is um, it's a basically it's a hunting dog competition. They got to the point where dogs could do everything they needed in a hunting environment, but then they wanted to start pushing them past that. So then that's where field trials started happening. They raised the bar and raise the bar every year. Raise the bar, make them do more. So, what it looks like, well, what it originally looked like was a hunting scenario where you're sitting there. You've got a shotgun, the dog's there, and they'll take a bird that they've either already killed or they'll throw up in the air and shoot it. And it will look from a dog's perspective, like the bird was just killed and the dog thinks he's doing his job. And they get scored on how well they perform and a bunch of different technical factors. It evolved from that to something where the people were so far away that they're in white coats so the dogs can pick them out. So it may be 450, 500 yards away, and the dog might be sitting there, and there might be one bird that goes down, and and then you just sit there and look at it, and then another one, then another one, up to four. You might have four different birds that that go down in different areas. So it's all within, normally it's all within a um, 90 or 100 degree span. And so the dog sits there and watches them all go, picks them up, comes back. There's also different, um different events within the sport. So I'm not going to get into all that. So growing up, once I was about, I think 10 or 11 is when I remember my dad died competing it. And he had a really nice dog named Nugget. And Nugget died real young. I think he was like two. He was this big male golden retriever, muscled up, had a huge chest, loved to hunt, loved to work. He was just a firecracker. What you'll also see is that you'll, you'll notice that dogs behave differently. So the people who compete in this world or they do this sport, they want the dogs to have a different mentality than the, than the family who's got a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and they take the dog walking with a stroller every day. They want the dog to compete in the sport to be more energetic, uh, more desired to do his job. You know, you've seen some dogs where you throw a little ball out there and they kind of look at it and look at you. You see other dogs where you throw a ball out there and nothing is going to stop that dog from getting to the ball. Well, in the sport world, you want the second one. And what happens is people start breeding dogs based on the desire to do these sports. And so you'll end up with two different lines of dogs, a working line and a pet line. And and in some sports, which I'll get into in a second, there's a working line, there's a sport line, and there's a pet line. And they're not really distinguished by anything other than you have to know what you're looking at, you have to know the breeders, and you have to understand the difference between the three dogs. There's not like a separate pedigree or anything like that. So yeah, so I was 10 or 11 when I got my first taste of it and I loved it. My dad would have me go out there and I got to be the the bird thrower for the dogs on training days and I would go watch them compete in field trials. And uh, so Nugget died. So then that was the last experience that I really had with it until I got to college. So I got to college in my junior year, I decided that I wanted to get a puppy, start training it to hunt and maybe do some competitions with it. So I found a golden retriever breeding that I wanted. And I told my mom, I said, hey, I'm going to get one of these puppies. My mom said, you know what? I'm going to get one too. And I was like, I don't know if you want to get one of these puppies, mom. They're going to be crazy. She's like, no, no, no. I want to have puppies out of the same litter. So we get the puppies. Hers is crazy. Mine's crazy enough. They're great dogs. Chevy and Blazer, for those who know them. And so, yeah, so that was when I first dabbled into, into dog sports. As time went on, I was kind of around it with some friends and people that I knew and I was working a lot. Chevy was getting older. Uh, I still took him hunting with me. We had a blast doing that. So I don't know. I had always been around them, and then I got Bentley and Bronco, and and I didn't have time to train once again. I didn't have the resources to train a hunting dog at that level. I mean, you you've, you've got to train four days a week. You got to have property. You got to have birds. You got to have bird throwers. You got to have helpers. And in the summertime. It's so hot in Texas that you can only train your dog for like 15 or 20 minutes, and then you got to stop, let him cool off. And so it, it, with just one dog, it's hard to justify rounding up all those resources just to train one dog for a competition. So I kind of got out of it for a while, still knew a bunch of people that competed in it, but didn't really compete myself. And then once I got back from Nicaragua, I decided I wanted to try a new sport. So I knew that I always will still have a lab around to, to hunt with me, um, but I wanted to compete in a sport that didn't didn't require as much, as many resources. So that's when I found the breed, uh, the Belgian Malinois, and found a sport called Mondio Ring. And it's, it's a sport that was designed to test the working ability of the dogs. So... These dogs were bred originally for herding. They were they were made to be herding dogs. Well, without going into all the details, they ended up turning them into police, working, protection, military-type dogs. They love to chase and bite things, but it's not out of anger. It's just a big, fun game for them. So with the right training, you can transform that into, you know, you can put them to work. And so the sport Mondio Ring has got a bunch of different elements in it. Um, a large portion of it is bite work. So there's a guy in a bite suit and there's different scenarios and the dogs are only allowed to bite if something happens and not before then. And you can't tell them when to bite. And it's just, um, it's a really fun, it's a trainer's game. So the the field trial game, um, is the, is the big money game. That's like horse racing. Like you buy a puppy, you put it with a trainer and you, you know, the trainer handles the dog, the trainer travels with the dog. And you only get the dog back if it retires or or whatever or comes home for a couple of months out of the year. Mondial ring, that, that doesn't happen. It's a smaller sport. It was uh, it was popular in Europe. Came over here, and it's a um, most everyone who does it is either a professional trainer of some kind or they just really enjoy training dogs. Field trial world is a little bit different. That's like a, a doctor lawyer sport, which they're both fun. Like I really I love field trials. I think the work that those top level retrievers do is, is uh, some of the most respectable work just just the minute details that these people contend with and the dogs and the way that they can train them to deal with certain factors is second to seeing eye dogs that's my opinion no way to validate that or check it out but yeah so that's mondial ring that's field trials and so there's every different dog that you can think of that's like was bred to do something now i'm not talking about the toy poodles or the labradoodle don't don't give me a start on labradoodles but the all these other breeds, like the toy breeds and stuff like that, don't count them into this, this whole scenario. But So for every different breed of dog, there's something out there for them. And there's a sport called nose work, and you're competing to see how well your dog can do detection work. So you train your dogs to alert on a certain type of odor, and you go into a room, and there's a bunch of boxes, and only some of the boxes have the odor in it. And so you have a certain amount of time, you got to go through, identify the odor, I don't know all the rules, but that's that's the object. Um, yeah, there's another one called lure coursing, and it's built around like the the sighthound breed. There's like this little white rag on a cable system, and it's a huge flat field, and they can control. It's a grid. That rag gets, you know, run at really high speeds around the field, and you score the dog based on how well the dog can chase it down and, tr- and try to catch it as if it were a, a fox hunt, with a whippet or something like that a greyhound there's also a sport called dock diving which has nothing to do with a dog's working ability it's just seeing how far dogs can jump off a dock you know chasing their favorite toy like how motivated are they to go and that's a you know it's another thing it's like you have to train for it. you have to teach the dog where to jump how to jump there's another one called barn hunt and they take these rats and they put them in like these pvc cages and you turn your dog loose and the dog runs in there and it has to go find X amount of rats that are buried in these big hay bales inside of a barn, and you get scored on how well your dog alerts and how long it holds it there, and whether or not it tries to eat the rat. So it's really cool. I, I would encourage anyone to to look into it. Uh, if you want any advice or input, let me know. I mean, everyone knows about like agility and that kind of stuff, but there's so much more out there that a lot of dogs can do it, and dogs really really like it. And like I said, like the the one of my favorite parts is that you go. You have this group of friends. They don't. They're not involved in any other aspect of your life other than the dog world. And so you're not talking about work. You're not talking about politics. Well, sometimes you talk about politics a little bit, but you're not. You're not getting dragged through the day to day crap of 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 your life. You know, it's like a little escape. And it takes time and it takes commitment. I just feel like that if more people knew about it, more people would participate. But you got to be careful because there are some crazy dog people there. I, I mean. I guess that's kind of subjective. There's people out there that would say that I'm a crazy dog person. I tend to disagree because my spectrum of crazy dog people extends a lot farther than what y'all have ever seen. I promise you that. So by now, I'm guessing anyone who doesn't live under a rock has heard about this Wayfair potential scandal thing. So if I understand it correctly, if you use a certain search term or discount code, they would produce this product that it was like a dresser. And the dresser listed on on Wayfair's site was like two hundred bucks, one hundred fifty bucks, something like that. But when you use this special code, either the discount code or the search code, it pops up at like ten thousand dollars. And a lot of them would have um, the names of like missing girls, like young girls who had gone missing, like either embroidered or inscribed somewhere on the unit. And so a lot of people are saying that they think that Wayfair was involved in the. Um, and human trafficking. It seems kind of like a stretch to me. Um it's this is one of those things where people start talking before any research is done and that's because the you know media outlets profit based on how much you click on it. So they're willing to just put stuff out there knowing that they could be wrong just to get the clicks. So I don't know. It's too early to say. I I would guess that it's probably some uh dirty sick perverted joke that some programmer put in there. I don't think that a company would be so stupid as to run uh, human trafficking through their multi-million dollar business, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. They haven't really said much. Um, Maybe they're trying to get their act together, but I really don't think that a company would take that kind of risk. Unless maybe that all their money was made from human trafficking and not really selling crap online. I don't know. I have, I've had one experience with them and it sucked. Uh, I probably won't ever. Use them again. I'm just excited to see what happens with this Ghislaine Maxwell human. She's going to talk and she's got some names and they're going to come out. And man, this is going to be better than a soap opera. Like maybe this will take over the COVID hysteria. Uh, that would be lovely. If we can just forget about the people dying in the streets. Oh, oh wait, what's that? Oh yeah, no, no one's dying in the streets. Okay, so we Forget about the case count because that's really high and really big and really scary. We forget about the case count and start focusing on Ghislaine Maxwell and the people that she was involved with who abused a bunch of children. That's far more exciting to me than COVID. You hear that? That's me wrapping things up. That's going to do it. I'm going to go take the dog for a walk. It's three o'clock. I'm going to come back, edit this, and put it up. Man, four in a row. What's up with that? Life in Paradise Podcast. Make your life your paradise. Hey, I should trademark that. MakeYourLifeYourParadise.com. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo.